0: Here on the Wide Angle Podium Network, the Honest Bicycle program is supported by Health IQ, which is a life insurance agency. Health IQ has exclusive rates for health conscious people. They crunch numbers on athletes and use unique models to offer physically active people lower rates on life insurance. So, to learn more, go to healthiq.com slash honestbicycle. You can learn more about what they're about, and you can get a free quote on life insurance. That's healthiq.com slash honestbicycle. We're grateful to have their support, so go check them out. So you, I don't
1: think I've ever done a five-beat countdown before. I'm sorry, go that's
0: ahead. It's okay. Uh, you paid money for these pictures.
1: I actually paid, yeah, I paid actual money for these because they
0: were so awesome. These are one more. definitely the photos that you want of yourself bike racing. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad that, you know, I think I'm glad that you paid money for them because, like, you know, how often do we as bike racers just look at, you know, Facebook or some photographer's albums and then we're like, oh, gosh, yeah, I wish that watermark weren't there or whatever. Uh, yeah, but, but right? I feel like it it is sort of like the the extraordinary circumstances when you're just like yeah i'm I'm paying for the picture
1: yeah so the the circumstances are of course that um i am in these pictures uh, how would you how would you describe me
0: <laughs> um, filthy yeah I'm covered in mud and water and in this cause... third picture that you've sent me not only are you covered in mud and water, but you can see the water falling from the sky as you're executing like a textbook remount in the mud. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's right. And that's that was one of the yeah. for a cyclocross racer, that's the picture of yourself that you absolutely want to have. <laughs> it's perfect. And and your form looks really excellent here. It's not like it was a great moment at which you were doing something really whack and busted.
1: <laughs> I'm actually, I there's like, I only bought one of them, there's a whole series of that remount, because um, I guess, I don't know who's there, and there's like, it's like seven or eight or something photos in sequence of me remounting, mm-hmm. and I'm actually, I'm pretty happy with it. I look not terrible, because which is good, because I felt pretty terrible.
0: You're you're uh, clearly you missing the opportunity to buy all of them and make a pretty sweet animated gif.
1: Uh, that would cost a pretty picture, a pretty penny. <laughs> I guess for a gif, I could buy, like even the low res like web version. It's like four or five dollars mm. an image. So it's it's you know it's only a little bit more to get the four megapixel yeah one. It was like eight bucks, so that was a little more reasonable. Or not reasonable, but it made sense. I mean, I don't know what's reasonable. Like that seems to be the going rate for photos, so like I won't complain. But yeah, Yeah. so I did this. I did this cross race on Sunday, and it was. um, And I said this on what Facebook or something that for all that I'm like a huge cyclocross nerd, I'm I'm still relatively new to the sport, Um, and I haven't had the opportunity to race in what you might call what what people tend to refer to as true cross weather uh all that often but um i did i did this sunday when there was a tiny little a tiny little race fifteen dollar entry fee no prize list out in pittsfield massachusetts massachusetts out on the far western end of the state nice uh, which and, so, uh, and correct I've,
0: me if i'm wrong but does uh does pittsfield still uh is, it, is that still the home yeah. of the mets double a baseball affiliate Oh, I don't know. Are there still the Pittsfield Mets? No. No idea. No, they no longer exist.
1: Oh, boy. That's too bad because Pittsfield doesn't have a heck of a lot going for it. In
0: 2001, they became the Pittsfield Astros. That's why. Oh. Oh, and then in 2001, they also moved to Troy, New York and became the Tri-City Valley Cats, which is not a good name for something. For anything. Not particularly. Anywho, Pittsfield cyclocross
1: yeah so i went out there thinking you know that it might be a little damp and i felt like i was being maybe a little bit precious uh because i did the thing where you take not just your skin suit for the racing but um like uh, bibs and a jersey to pre-ride in like as mm-hmm. though you're a pro or something and i was like this is so ridiculous and precious and and dumb. And then it turned out that it wasn't just a little bit damp, but it poured all day (laughs) (laughs) with predictable consequences. Um, And it was, it was the most, like I've done, it's not like I've never done a race in the mud before. I've done Mm -hmm. a couple. I've done like one in each of the last two seasons, basically, that was a muddy race. And... um, you know, I thought, okay, that's racing in the mud, that's fine, but it was they were nothing like this. It was
0: yeah. Yeah, so I suppose the the funny thing about racing in the mud is that mud is not like one condition. Mud is like countless conditions.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's mm-hmm. where you
0: are and the specifics of that climate and the rain that it just experienced and the rain that it experienced last week and the drainage and topography and ecology of the this soil type that determines like, is silty what, soil yeah that determines what kind racing. of mud you're racing in today
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah but this was this was mostly pretty slippery stuff
0: yeah uh, it was like it was like the was, slick fest
1: yeah it was slick it was real slick um which is still a problem when you don't have the appropriate like mud tire for one of your tires mm-hmm. <laughs> which you know, it's 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 a pretty unusual experience to have wheel spin on a bicycle, um, but that was happening. That was happening <laughs> quite a lot, and it's very difficult to make progress. Yeah, when that happens,
0: it's very it's very frustrating. <laughs> the last time I raced a muddy cyclocross race, as our listeners of the Honest Bicycle Program will know, that was just me sneaking in the name of what you're listening to in case you forgot That's what true. you clicked on in your podcasting application. I'm Mattio, and that's Greg. Uh, and I'm not as you—you you all know—that I'm not much of a cyclocrossist. That um, I've dabbled. Mm-hmm. I've spent a couple seasons. Uh, I did a fair amount of falling. I I won two bicycle races, um, but for the I most more part, more cross races than I've won. That's kind of for the most part. I abandoned it. Well, yeah, it was yeah, it Odd. was Minnesota too. So you know, it's not it's not <laughs> it's not New England cross. Sure. Um, but I raced a race where you know it rained, sort of like all all night, not even the day before, and not even the day of, so it was like sunny, uh, but the, the ground was just super, super soft and wet, and so the few early races just absolutely tore it up where the track was outside of the woods, and then inside of the woods it was just like damp and grippy, so there's no real way to like pick a reliable tire combination, even if you've got like a whole quiver full of tires, but I was just like yeah, I'll put 18 in my Griffos and call it a day, um mm-hmm. Which was, you know, difficult when it was in just like this thick, soft, heavy, not super wet mud. Yeah, heat heat plus mud is a recipe for cement. Basically. Yeah, no, it wasn't that. It was just like it was just like, uh, it was just like extremely soft ground
1: oh, that was all
0: torn up uh... and dirty. <laughs> right, so just like slow and difficult. Yeah. And then in the woods, it was just like really grippy and fast and tacky and fun. Yeah. Like a like a ton of fun, like, you know, sliding through a muddy corner just thinking, I know I'm gonna hook up at the end of this turn. Yep, oh, there I go. Awesome. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: that's that's what I love about Cyclocross. So yeah, yeah, you know you know the feeling. Yeah, so it was great. And it was probably it was it was easily the most disgusting conditions I've raced in. We're looking you know, these photos we're looking at I am just I, I did that thing, I got to the end. Uh, and I was talking to my friend, uh, Alex, who had done the women's race earlier and did pretty well. Um, and, and I went to try and, you know, like at the end, sometimes of like a really muddy, like super prestige race or something or world cup, like the person who wins will go and try and like clean off the front of their (laughs) kit so the sponsor's name can be seen. Yeah. But but they just kind of end up smearing the mud around. (laughs) That was that was essentially what happened. I was like, oh, my chest is covered in mud. I'll just scrape it off, and it was just like, nope, nope, (laughs) not coming off. So, yeah, it, it was learning. It was definitely exciting. I mean, I had I had a good tire on the front, which which is the most important one, but I had not a good tire on the back and, and that caused me some real problems aside from the fact that I'm not very fast right now. Um, but like, that's okay, whatever. Uh, it was super fun despite the fact that, uh, there was there were a couple times when that back tire really let me down. <laughs> I like, uh, I was just kind of JRA into the woods at one point and it, it just kind of sent me off the side of the trail <laughs> and there was like this vine in my way. And I was like, Oh shit, I hope this vine like moves when I hit it. And it, it didn't. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I got kind of chucked over my handlebars there. That wasn't awesome. Uh, there was this muddy off-camber, and anytime someone... It's like two times of the five laps I did. Like, I came around and someone had just eaten, well, mud in front of me. And you try to change your line when it's like a super slick off-camber and your rear tire doesn't have any bite. Yeah, and, You know, you're just instantly on the ground. Went into the thorn bushes once so that part wasn't so great but you know it it slipped a few times and stuff like that and made it hard to pedal but overall it was really great learning experience i mean like that's just part of what you deal with and you know i I only had my training tires because i had done this race last year knew there were lots of uh a lot of um sharp rocks hiding that could cost you an expensive tubular (laughs) so but though tubulars would have been so the right choice uh, it was it was rough. Oh, and one other thing about this: it being Pittsfield, Western Pittsfield in Western Massachusetts, um, it was the start list was basically like a World Cup because the GM fund team was on training camp, and <laughs> they also were hanging out with oh, uh, someone like Spencer Petroff, Jeremy Powers, Stephen Hyde, Jeremy Duran, Jack Kissabirth. Damn, all in all, in my race. <laughs>
0: that'll that'll make the so, first lap real hard.
1: Uh I, I did. You know, the best part was Powers and Hyde and Kissabirth hadn't pre-regged, and the officials were adamant that they had to start at the back. <laughs> <laughs> we we were like. Is this really we we're like they can go to the front. It's fine. Like, come on, I want to live. Uh, they actually passed <laughs> very cleanly and safely and it was fine. Yeah. So, yeah, Adam Meyerson also very fast. So who so, who won? Uh I believe Powers. Oh, interesting. Won the bicycle race, followed by Jack Kisseberth. Mm-hmm. But you see, many people did in fact uh, either flat out or otherwise have to quit the race with mechanicals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There there were huge huge elite field uh you know 37 starters which is insane yeah for an elite field even in new england um and i think 14 people dnf'd for one reason or another mm-hmm. so that's pretty substantial attrition rate so i was feeling kind of mad at my bike because things kind of weren't working super well for much of the race but uh, it could have been a lot worse that's what mud does
0: yeah was that the so worst was it- that the worst conditions you've ever raced in
1: uh yeah i mean that's a great question so um and and you know i was thinking about that in terms of the weather or i guess the you know when you consider like i don't know all things considered in terms of what's it doing to your bike and what is the weather like like technically you could say it's the worst Mm -hmm. um it was a long way from the most uncomfortable i've ever been Mm -hmm. like the same weekend was the green mountain stage race same same day they had a stage going over Appalachian Gap App Gap, uh, and you know it was it was like low fifties and raining and let me tell you, I'd way rather be racing cyclocross in those conditions than road.
0: Yeah, so the we we should talk about Green Mountain Stage Race because I actually heard that it was in like the mid forties, you know, even even colder than oh yeah that, and you know yeah. the the story that I heard from a friend on Facebook was of shivering uncontrollably for about three hours until yeah. like he barely made it to the end of the race and then had to sit in an ambulance for a few hours
1: yeah they had the organizers put a heated tent at the top of app gap for racers to go to like they they really made an effort to because i mean it's it, those are conditions that seem like downright dangerous right like you, you could really get in trouble yeah if it's 50 something degrees and raining in cyclocross, like my feet were too cold. I, I probably should have done something a little bit more for them. But otherwise, I was in a long sleeve Lycra skin suit and I was fine. Mm-hmm. I was
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the, the wind is that much less on you since you're not, you know, descending at 45 miles an hour and you're not racing for three hours.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so I don't know. How would, like, how does that compare to? what you've raced in before i'm trying to think like what in terms of like what was the most uncomfortable i've ever been in a bike race right some things come to mind it certainly wasn't uh this race one was uh given when we were recording this there's a certain irony to it what with uh hurricane harvey actually the remnants of which i believe we rode through Mm -hmm. on sunday uh with hurricane harvey having come through and devastated uh houston with flooding and you know, potentially more coming with this n- Hurricane Irma that, that's that's uh, making its way uh, toward the Caribbean. Um, but I lived in Nashville in May. You know, May of 2010, uh, when there was a major rain event, and it rained like 13 inches in two days, and there was massive thudding, flooding there. And the first day of that, which was over the weekend, um, I raced my bike. Mm-hmm so that was when we didn't realize yet like that this rain wasn't it wasn't just like a gross rainy day you know because it was the morning and it was only kind of as the day wore on mm. that it became clear that there was this like things were gonna be really bad so we, we were we were racing in that uh in the heavy rain and that was about the wettest i've ever been mm-hmm. um, just steady steady rain like to the point that like my My shorts became so saturated with water um, that they wouldn't, they literally wouldn't cling to my legs anymore. Yeah. Like they would suddenly sag and, and (laughs) like the air would rush into them and they'd they'd sound like. (laughs) Um, That's gross. But even that, like, wasn't that cold. It was so gross. It feels really weird when that happens too, when like the lycra suddenly like pulls away from your, like, the outside of your legs, like your hamstrings. So weird. Uh, but even then, it wasn't that cold.
0: So that's so. there's that's the, the question I'm mulling over in my head is like what actually constitutes worst conditions I've raced in? Because I certainly raced in uh, cold and wet, which is is bad. Like that's that's pretty dangerous. And and the the one that comes to mind is actually the, the most recent um, or one of the most recent, which uh, the Philly Flyer this spring. It was mm-hmm. like 34 degrees and so just sort of like. <clears throat> It wasn't actually really raining, it was just very wet. Um and you know, it was like a solid 90 minute race, so longer than you want to be out in those conditions and it's just hard to dress for that. Um Yeah. And it, it I got cold during the race, but it was a sufficiently active race that I was never like not working for the 90 minutes. Um, right. And I got to the finish line, like, kind of thinking that I was fine, except as soon as I get off my bike, like, I realized that I'm a, I'm shivering uncontrollably.
1: Yeah. And
0: that, you know, my skin suit was pinned to my base layer, and, like, I couldn't get my wet clothing off. Oh. You know? So, like, I sat in the car and blasted the heat for a while, and I was like, I just have to drive home shivering. Like, this is going to be difficult, but that's my only option right now. Right. Um, but I've raced in colder also this year, you know, Grant's tomb was like 22 degrees. Um, and of course, having raced for six years in Minnesota, you know, some of the spring training crits definitely start well below 30 degrees. You know, we've had, we've had some snow, um, for some of those races, but, uh, I think what I, what I've realized is that, uh, wet really isn't that bad i think a lot of amateur bike racers who don't live in a particularly wet climate have a, a mental barrier about racing in the wet but that's not really so bad mm-hmm. um it's it, it's any anything like in between where you know a slightly different garment of clothing garment of clothing good word choice a slightly different garment mm-hmm. can make the choice between like discomfort but tolerable versus dangerous
1: yeah. Well, I mean, you say wet isn't that big a deal, but I mean, that's, that's provided it's warm.
0: Wet's, right? wet's, wet's still... yeah. I mean, what's yeah. Wet's not, it's not like, I think a lot of people have, have like wet concerns that are, that are more about like discomfort and crashing than they are about like staying warm. But, but yeah, certainly mm-hmm. if it's, you know, under, under 60 and you're not expecting it, or if it's like under 50, even if you are, it's, it's going to take the life yeah. out of you.
1: Yeah, I think I, I actually, when I think about it, the most uncomfortable day on a bike I, rec- I can recall wasn't in a race, but it was when it was around uh, fifty and and raining. Because me and my friend, um, who I, I took several bike touring trips with back in the day, and this one was about ten years ago, I might have mentioned this way back in an early episode when we talked a little bit about doing some bike touring. But we took a trip from Amherst, Mass, where we were living, and we crossed the Connecticut River and went up into the foothills or you know into the hill towns and um and and ultimately uh down to north adams massachusetts so you know basically out to the berkshires kind of looped down through the berkshires and then turned um back east and headed home we did that in about three days and the first day when we rode out of the pioneer valley out of the connecticut river valley into the into the hill towns you know into the plateau mm-hmm. it was August or something, um, but it was 52 degrees <laughs> and raining, Oof. and it gets colder as you go up. Yeah, and we were we weren't really expecting that. We didn't realize. Well, we we weren't prepared for it to get colder, <laughs> but it got colder, and we had 50 miles to do, and you know, neither of us were like fit racers at that time, and we were hauling like 40 pounds of gear on our bikes, and that I remember. I remember, uh, you know, in a very hilly area, actually wishing for more uphill because the descents were so cold. Oh my God. Yeah. Like that's when you know you're in trouble, right? When, when you're just like, can we actually climb? <laughs> 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 Cause that would suck a lot less you know when when you're going downhill and you're like this is this is going to be so much worse like the worst part is coming up
0: i've i've heard people say that they've got clothing for just about every conceivable condition but i don't believe that i find that hard to believe yeah i find that very hard to believe it's just so hard like
1: i i feel like honestly that cold and rainy is a condition that just honestly like for all the advances in cycling, garment, you know, like cl- technical clothing tech over the last decade, that hasn't been cracked yet, I don't think.
0: I've heard, what is it, the the Castelli Yo Gabba? Gabba Gabba Hey jacket? Castelli Gabba? Yeah, is that they it? had to
1: change the name, I think. It's not called the Gabba anymore mm-hmm. for, like, you know, trademark reasons or something. Yeah. But, yeah, people say that's good, but I, I think that it's still, like, you know, it's better than the others, right my understanding
0: here's here's the other piece of this puzzle that gets to me a little bit I am quite sure that I have been freezing my ass off while dressed pretty much the same as somebody uh, bigger who's got a little bit more biological insulation um, I'm not even talking mm-hmm. about like like heavy people right I'm not like making fat jokes I'm just talking about like do do well this is the... do, do like so you know I'm short you're short. I don't weigh a whole lot. Like, do people who just have more mass retain more heat? Um,
1: yes, surface area to volume ratio.
0: Boom! Surface area to volume ratio
1: is higher in smaller
0: people. Yep. So yeah, we're just we're just losing heat faster because yeah, I've been there have been times when I've been dressed really comparably to other people, and of course, obviously, you know, everyone's different, but I've been intolerably cold when someone else is comfortable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's happened to me too.
0: Which always makes me chuckle when people, you know, want... And I I used to want this, like, give me a temperature rating on these gloves or this garment. No, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Oh, I've always found that kind of peculiar
1: when if you go to, like, a forum, people are like, oh, what do you wear? What temperature? They're like, oh, well, from 40 to 45 degrees, I do this. And from 45 to 50 degrees, I do this. And from 50... You know, right? And that, I think, is like, hey, you know, what are you going to do, like... I, I appreciate that like it's difficult to do a summary in another way but um like it depends on what the sun is like you know and whether you're in shade or not and how you're riding
0: and how you're riding you know oh yeah very true yeah absolutely like, like, so like, like yeah I've 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 thrown gloves off in in cross races in that are in the 30s that you know I can't do that on a on a road ride you know it's totally different <laughs> or you know <laughs> i've 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 started cross races in the 20s and snowy without leg warmers because because embro will do it for me mm-hmm. on that day and maybe it's not a great idea but it works for me um sure so yeah oh, it's just it's a very personal thing
1: yeah it's difficult to account for. so anyway uh rip and peace everyone who did gmsr on that day all right pmp's shout out (laughs) shout out to the scrub zone podcast um oh is
0: that their term so uh
1: i don't know that's carlo i think or i don't know it's young people anyway so yeah but anyway Mm -hmm. so i don't know that's that's what i have to say about that uh any any last thoughts i i mean you know it's it's difficult to figure out
0: yeah, I would say that anybody who raced Green Mountain Stage Race, whether or not you finished it this year, earns some like extreme hard person points.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. I think a lot of people ducked out. So and very impressed with people who toughed it out because because I like they were people who I know are incredibly strong <laughs> who just said nope, too much, can't do it. And just yeah. quit on the side of the road and, and like, it's like people's like husbands or wives are like driving up and down looking for them, mm. you know, like and going on Twitter, like, Hey, has anyone seen where so-and-so is like Oof. pretty, pretty wild. It was fine. It turned out fine. But uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. All right. Um, you know, this seems like a good time just to mention that we're on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Should we do that? Yes yeah i think we should
0: the so, wide angle podium network is like yeah, go ahead it's like the host that invites you over for a potluck
1: hmm. is a it tip. i don't
0: know if that's really where why don't you go ahead and i'm stumbling around for a metaphor here but
1: well it's look it's really. it's september now it's september and that means that officially the wide angle podium member drive has uh ended we'd like to thank everyone who became a member during that time we think we added about 50 new memberships
0: which is fabulous yeah we're, um, we're really happy to have you all with us
1: we're really psyched um you know that gives you access to things like uh bonus content which you know we have a we have a bonus episode up we talked about uh what was it called we talked about a movie
0: mm-hmm.
1: breaking away mm-hmm. breaking away great movie great movie and we, we talked that we talked that pretty much to death um Suffice it to say, we liked it, but if you want to hear what we think about it, you can, you can get that if you become a member. <laughs> uh, so we're going to do some more of those, and, and you can get them to become a member. There's different tiers. If you go to wideanglepodium.com donate right? like I said, you can join at any time. You can decide where the money goes, whether it goes to if, like, just our show, for example, if you only listen to this show. Or if you like all the shows, you can just divide it up evenly. Uh, or if you want to support two shows or three shows. Uh, You can do that. And, you know, it really makes a big difference. Uh, You know, just uh, we're not making a living doing this. We're not like podcast millionaires or thousandaires or even hundredaires. Um, But every little (laughs) bit, yeah, every little bit helps. So, um, yeah, we appreciate it. And go check out the other shows, of course. Uh, You know, if you've heard of the Slow Ride podcast, they're on this network. Uh, You know, Bike Shop, CX. Have you been listening to any of these? I know you're not a big podcast guy, (laughs) Matthew.
0: Uh, I haven't, but I've been meaning to start listening to the Dirtfield Field recordings ever since you said that, uh, it was a really good podcast.
1: Yeah, that's really good. I hope, uh, Lin- Lin- Lindsay, I hope will get back to, um, recording some of those, but I, I'm sure she's been busy. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, I mean, there's so many great shows, uh, on here and they're all worth your time and all worth, uh, supporting, you know? So that's up to you. So, wideanglepodium slash donate. It's never too late. Become a member, uh, and you know, listen guilt free instead of guiltfully, as you no doubt are, if you are freeloading. <laughs> really, uh, just which help- is fine.
0: Really, just help us with the server space. We transmit so much data into your ears. Uh, oh, it's amazing that
1: uh, whoo It's it's tens of thousands of downloads, I believe. Um, it's it's terabytes of data. Yeah, it's a it's a lot. It's a hell of a lot, and that costs money um so
0: yeah i mean so every time you click play on your podcast app okay so somebody has to go to the the server unit the room the server storage place and actually physically retrieve the podcast episode from the shelf well yeah they put that so they take out their their put it uh, little the tape deck, their disc yeah and then hook up the wire that goes directly to your earphone Okay, and all of that takes expertise. It takes time. We have to pay that person. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Then they are running around like crazy on a Monday morning, let me tell you.
1: Yeah, and if you have to re download, they have, you know, they got to, they got to like start, stop it and rewind turn it back the tape. On. Yeah. Rewind the tape. Oof. It's called the power cycle. It's called the power, power cycle. Power cycle, yes. Yeah, and they have to <laughs> do that. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, this is all true. So it's a steampunk important. podcast network here. Uh,
1: I mean, you know, it's uh, definitely there's sometimes elements of, uh, you know, soup cans and string uh, between them. But, you know, look, it's we're not uh, we're not your earwolf or whatever. We're not your NPR. Like, you know, we got to go with the basic plan. We got to go with the steampunk plan, you know. And so you got to do, do what you can to support us. So I think that's that's enough about that. Wine Angle Podium. So many great podcasts. Um, go to WineAnglePodium.com slash donate. Uh, become a member. Yeah. All right. I had, I had a thing that... Uh, well, I wanted to present to you. I wanted to know what you thought. You can probably guess what I think about it once I I read this rant. But <laughs> but there, P- Peter Flax, uh, I want to say last week, put up this amazing like ten tweet rant on the Twitter sphere. Uh, and I, I might as well just start reading. So I'm gonna I'm gonna quote. All right. So quote. Mm-hmm. I'll start with a position statement. The sense of style and fashion in mainstream road cycling culture is fucking boring and suffocating. The problem isn't just the presence of rules. The problem also is the devotion of unimaginative and unstylish people have to these rules. For years, I've bitched to bike companies about the monotony of black, red, white bikes. But they offer these colors because that's what folks buy. In my experience, the folks who censure other road riders about style the most... Middle-aged guys who don't exactly have great personal style. Okay, editor's note here. Uh, flame emoji. All right, back to quoting Peter Flax. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've seen dudes in sporty Castelli-slash-assos kits making fun of pearl-slash-primal type riders. Hundreds. Pathetic. Rafa became a disruptive force largely, largely by paying attention to color trends and offering fashion-aware choice, which many riders despised. The en vogue trend of sock game, which I enjoy, reflects how timid the style of road cycling is. It's our one acceptable piece of flair. I observe the style choices young fixie kids in LA are making. A lot of it's bold. A lot of it I don't get. That's how fashion fucking works. In my mind, cycling isn't about conforming. It's about freedom. I wish more road riders looked at it that way. And in closing, if you own khakis... Keep your thoughts about my bar tape to yourself. Thanks for reading. <laughs> Unquote. That's Peter Flax.
0: Yeah, so that was all That was all kicked off by, uh, apparently, responses to some pink bar tape that he had on his red bike.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably with references to the
0: rules, right? Yeah, so that's that's, that that what I, that's what I really want to, like, kind of hone in on is... is yeah. Is ...the rules, which are going around the Internet and uh they have been going time. around the internet for yeah, yeah. a long time And a tweet that he writes where he, he writes in my experience the folks who censure other road riders about the style the most are middle-aged guys who don't exactly have great personal style and when something like the rules is published i say the rules is published because the rules is the title uh when something like the rules is published it creates an easy way for people to feel like they're in and castigate people for being out mm-hmm right oh here's yeah. a thing to get I can read it and get all the rules and then identify when other people are breaking them
1: yeah and I think I think also you can unpack that a little further though because I'm not sure now I don't know look the rules is this thing it's on like velluminati.com um, which is a reference to Illuminati by the way people um and if that doesn't seem familiar go look up illuminatus with an exclamation point uh, or other sources uh but anyway (laughs) uh anyway you know that was published on the internet by i don't know some guys i guess and what's fascinating about it is i i don't know those guys and i don't know exactly what they're thinking but i don't think that the rules were kind of intended to be taken as seriously as they sometimes are um right you know, I think that it was intended to be partly—I uh, I won't go so far as to say a jab at the uh, tendency of road cycling style or, or culture to to want conformity. That might be a little too meta, but I think it's—I think it's provided uh, ample opportunity for people to demonstrate the desire for conformity uh, in road culture, and that's that's frustrating, right? Because we've talked a little bit about how how the roadie hate or the racy hate, racer hate bugs us and if there's one thing people like to hate on roadies for it's being obsessed with conformity <laughs> <laughs> and and like everybody doing the same thing and that at uh come on don't make that easy uh yeah. but yeah I, I just you know i've sometimes sometimes on the one hand i think people get to you know can take the rules too seriously both you know, from both directions, both in terms of like something that needs to be enforced, and, and as something that is terrible and everything that is wrong, but like, just like this podcast, the Veluminati people are just like some guys on the internet. They're not, they're not like the authority. Like, even if they're hundred percent serious about it, like, you know, <laughs> it's just some guys on the internet who publish some opinions.
0: Yeah.
1: So and I really those like. Opinions aren't
0: always right. As a, as a conceptual response to like the rules and these attitudes that we're talking about in general, uh, a bunch of years ago on Surly's, uh, website, surlybikes.com on their blog, they posted a post that started with, if you think your bike looks good, it does. If you like the way your bike rides, it's an awesome bike. And it goes on and on and on, you know, steel is a great material for making bike frames. So is aluminum carbon fiber and titanium you can have your saddle at whatever angle makes you happy your handlebars can be lower than your saddle even with your saddle or higher than your saddle whichever way you like it is right you know it's just like extremely affirming uh screed um, (laughs) that is uh that i i think that's like it it's uh bikes are freedom the way that peter flax wrote about in a nutshell, man,
1: um, how well, how just amazingly well put is that? Yeah, and, and like I think you and I have both been guilty of like, well, guilty is a weird way of weird, weird putting it, but like of looking at pictures of bikes on the internet and saying, ugh, yeah, yeah. and you know, fine, um, no one's perfect. I, 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 I'm not sure that that you know we need to be perfect all the time, but you know, and, and some people take the I think the affirmation thing. A little too far, and in, in in terms of making an attack on people that they perceive to be non-affirming, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like I, I think that sometimes that you know affirming post, like Surly, did a good job. Sometimes it's just you know the roadie hate, right? <laughs> and I'm not sure that's productive, right? Um, but but yeah, I mean, I I agree with so many so so much of the thrust of this, and we actually haven't. I think it's interesting. You know, we've been talking about, I don't know, kind of just like bikes from hopefully like an everyday kind of person on the street, like bike racer focused, I suppose, but nonetheless from a person on the street bike nerd perspective. um, And uh, that we haven't talked about like style and color Mm -hmm. and you know what looks cool and what we think doesn't look cool or or whatever very much if at all but but I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna so I have this like I have notes on this I copied and pasted so I would know what he said <laughs> but there's a few things like I want to look at like the the thing about bike colors you know for years I've bitched to bike companies about the monotony of black slash white slash red bikes um, but they offer these colors because that's what folks buy and I relate to that a lot for example uh, I was really excited a handful of years ago when all of a sudden, Specialized and Trek started offering cross bikes. In particular, it seems like cyclocross is friendlier, friendlier ground for this. Uh, the, the bikes that actually had color, like there's the Crockett. There's there's this Pepto Bismol Pepto Bismol pink Trek Crockett, right? Mm-hmm. And like a baby
0: blue one, and and some like great purple ones yeah
1: yeah yeah it's just like it's actual colors it pops cycle cyclocross specialized has done um some really great colors bright bikes with their cross bikes um but you know if you look at the road bikes it's you know more of the same much of the time it's a black bike or a white bike and people like to to uh you know take their bike and say oh yeah it's totally murdered out you know it's got (laughs) an expression i hate by the way but um that's a rant for another day. It's the worst. but you know, but yeah, black saddle, black tape, black hoods. That's fine if that's what you like, but I think that honestly, yeah, it is it is boring to me and when and it's fine if if I think that uh, I don't want to come out as claiming that I have some amazing fashion sense. I don't. You know, some great sense of design. I don't. Um but I do think that while the rules can be a handy guideline if you really feel like you aren't sure what to do. They don't actually constitute like color matching principles. You know, like the whole, (laughs) like I've gotten crap before for my saddle, not matching my bar tape. And it's like, well, 95% of saddles are either black or white. And most of them are black. And if I followed that rule, my, my, bike would look boring or boringer you know what i mean yeah like it actually looks fine like my bike it's this very bright high viz like lime green color uh it it stands out it's actually awesome like the, the handy thing about most people's bikes being boring is you can you can see my bike you can see the <laughs> bike race which is good because i'm small um and it has a black sal and it is blue tar t- blue ugh, blue bar tape and you know what in my opinion it looks fabulous
0: and it does. They don't match.
1: So. It does. Anyway, I don't know. That's not maybe a coherent point, but um, I, I would encourage people to relax a bit, and I don't know, just try something different. Put some some like ridiculous bar tape
0: on your bike. Like have a little fun, man. Like... Or like or like wear some ridiculously oversized cycling sunglasses.
1: Oh then... sure.
0: And then and then wear them to the bar later too.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you like, if you think that uh, you look good in a cycling cap, wear it whenever you want.
0: Where, or wear your high socks to the coffee shop when you're wearing casual clothes. You know, you're like half calf uh, cycling socks.
1: Your half calf cycling socks in your sandals. I, that's fine. Now I I'm aware that socks and sandals is unstylish. But uh, I th- I think that, you know, have some fun. Like, you don't have to be stylish as such, but have some fun. Have
0: That's some fun. fun. And That's and fun then, like, the, the, the big picture thing is that, like, just, you know, knowing that uh, so many people come to bikes and bike racing and activity and a lot of things for a lot of different reasons and for a lot of different purposes. And so, you know... Your no Garmin, no rules sticker might for someone else, you know, be, yeah, like focusing on data helps me, helps me process what I'm doing and how I'm spending my time and helps me enjoy what I'm doing. Right. You know, what's less fun for you might be more fun for someone else and no judgment.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's try and let's try and make it a judgment free zone. You know, like I think that, I think that we can rag each other a little bit about, You know, if we're friends, right? Only do this with your friends. You can rag each other a little bit about things sometimes. But, um, you know, generally speaking, I think uh, giving a stranger, like someone you don't know on the internet stick about their pink bar tape because it doesn't match their black saddle, um, you might want to think twice about that. Because that might be, I don't know, It might be the thing that is helping them hold it together today. They're riding to work on the bike path, thinking like, ugh, I got to go to my crappy job. I'm just (laughs) tired. I'm just sick, whatever. And they look down, and they've got bright pink bar tape, and maybe they crack a little smile because that bright pink bar tape looks pretty cool. I don't know could happen could happen huh. any uh any more to say on that i i probably like i oh excuse me i'm gonna sneeze
0: <laughs> oh
1: boy yeah thank you uh, i could probably rant about that some more i feel like i feel like i'm sorry i'm just like not talking into the microphone at all i apologize hey you're I could doing probably okay rant about that yeah hey I, bud I'm, I'm all over i'm all over the place tonight you're doing fine it's a mess it's a mess. <laughs> um it's, yeah i could go on and on about things and I, I could so easily turn it into like complaint about certain classes of riders that i might be inclined to be ungenerous toward and i think <laughs> i probably shouldn't do that and just say live and let live and um if someone is doing something that looks kind of wild or different to you with their style on the bike like whatever because Their socks have like hearts on them or or you know their uh bar tape is really crazy looking or um you know they have like a wolverine on their cycling jersey (laughs) just just consider the possibility that they know something that you don't even if it's just about themselves even if it's just about
0: themselves and not about style and uh let it be and in the words of Childish Gambino, don't be mad because I'm doing me better than you doing you. <laughs> High five. <laughs>
1: All right. So anyway, um, one thing that you'd mentioned, we had a little email. And I, I, I think that, uh, hey, by the way, go check out Peter Flax on Twitter. I think that's probably a good idea what's his what's his uh, twitter handle is it it's
0: at p flax and then the number one
1: yeah he seems like a smart guy with smart opinions i agree much of the time that some of that la some of that la smart person vibe is that a thing <laughs> why not yeah why not um so i guess we have a minor if you feel like talking about it pro cycling topic
0: yeah, the current events being uh, Cannondale Drapex attempts to uh, crowd fund their future, essentially. Yeah, which, which is yeah. not—it's not new for pro cycling. I can't recall the name of the team that did it a few years ago, but it—it it was a women's team. Yeah. I think you got your name on your jersey if you donated to them or something but you know so cannondale is in the situation where they had a sponsor for 2018 that pulled the plug pretty last Mm -hmm. minute yeah um so they're in a situation of saying look if we want to be good to our riders we need to let them know that we might not exist next year so they're you know releasing riders from contracts while also still trying to you know put together uh enough of a enough of a team for next year yeah we're
1: talking about like a seven million dollar shortfall basically yeah and that they can't just they can't just also step down a level because of the way their sponsor commitments work Mm -hmm. like they it's it's all contingent on being at the tour de france Yeah. yeah so i don't know what what are your and so so one of the things they're doing is this crowdfunding thing and there's like a matching partner that i don't think that they've revealed necessarily um, but it's like they'll match them to the two million dollar level if they get two million dollars in funding. I don't know. Yeah, what's what your, you know, what your take my, on this?
0: I feel pretty ambivalent. On, on one hand, you know, mm-hmm. if someone wants to send you know twenty or fifty or hundred bucks or five hundred bucks to Slipstream, it's you know, it's it's their money. That's what makes them happy. That's fine. You know, sort of reflecting back on our previous conversation. Um, on the other hand, given how the world is is going right now, it just seems like. It it seems like a tough sell, you know, that uh, and given given how how often we talk about the way that like pro cycling, like the the top level just has a disproportionate number of resources and kind of like lives on like the blood and guts of all the tiers below it and how there are so many more worthwhile ventures, it seems um, to support cycling at a grassroots level. It it seems Mm -hmm. strange to kind of offer this like charitable donation to a to a pro cycling team.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that it's quite appropriate to see it as a charitable donation. Um, I I do. So okay. So so I do want to address the. You're getting at something I've seen. I've seen kind of a thread of criticism of the whole hashtag Save Argyle thing of being like. Here's a picture of flooding in Mumbai, um, but, you know, hashtag save Argyle, right? The implication mm-hmm. being that um, if you are spending your money on, you know, trying to support this pro cycling team when you could be spending your money to give flood relief to, you know, whether it be Houston, Texas or, or Mumbai or, or if there's been a lot of flooding um Lately, uh, around the world, that that's that's bad and a bad use of your resources. The problem uh,
0: is when you make that argument about the sort of like strict compar- comparative ethics of something like that, then that can sort of shine back on you in all sorts of difficult ways, you know. And also,
1: like, why is any so that so that well, yeah. So the question is then, why are you spending any of your money that isn't necessary to feed yourself and clothe yourself on anything except Rendering aid to, you know, people through charitable donations, like which, I, I think which that's, which is see, a pretty
0: fair question to
1: ask. I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that we could get into uh, a, a very interesting political <laughs> philosophy kind of discussion around that. I, I think though that given that people seem to have to generally accept, uh, that you can in fact be a moral person and spend money on things that are purely for your enjoyment and entertainment. Um, I, I think that it's very problematic to make that argument. And and I'm sorry because I know the word problematic is uh, uh, really misused and kind of vague. So uh, maybe instead of problematic, I'll say I, I think that there's – it's almost impossible. There's almost no one making that argument who is not on some level being a hypocrite about it. Um, I'm going to make that, that's very specific criticism instead of just saying it's problematic. Like at some level, you're probably spending a lot of your money. Um, you know, if you're not truly in a a relatively, um, you know, uh, difficult economic situation on, on things that are purely to like make you happy. Uh, and you know, we're, we're spending money to go pay race, you know, race bikes, um, so, uh, yeah, I, I find that argument really troubling. So so I don't really buy that. Uh, I do agree with the general sense of the ambivalence that you expressed, where, you know, yeah, if, if someone wants to support the team, and look, I like slip, Slipstream as a team as much yeah, as, as I like any pro cycling team. I would be sad if they went away. Um, I'm... I'm not sure that I'm super comfortable with seeing that as like where, like, where should my money go if I'm going to put my money into like a cycling cause I believe in? Like, is yeah. it a men's world tour team? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. I do hope that they find sponsorship, you know, and, you know, hey, uh, there's, it's very likely that that sponsorship will be, you know, if they get it, uh, the fact that there's been a response for the crowdfunding that people care about this team will make a difference in terms of their ability to secure that. so mm-hmm. so that's a thing. but you know i have I have all kinds of feelings about not just like the situation generically but but kind of about uh Jonathan Vadder's the team owner um or is he the owner specifically? I think he's part owner anyway of slipstream about sort of his, vision for what he thinks pro cycling should be like and and how it could be more sustainable for for teams like his i'm not sure that i necessarily share his philosophy in most respects um and so i feel weird about that even though i think in general that i like what the team is doing does Mm -hmm. that make sense yeah like i yeah uh and again, that that would that would probably lead it into kind of a longer conversation. Um, I'm trying to think of like a way to summarize my feelings about that. But basically, I think that um, Voters wants a model. I talked about this in a previous episode when I sort of gave my uh, Marxist analysis of um, the loan or whatever. Um, but, you know he he wants kind of more sharing and power for team management and owners um and the concern i have is that like i don't really care about aso the man the organization that owns the tour de france and that's kind of like their big bugbear is that this organization this this company has so much power over um essentially the future of teams and they don't have control you know that's fine but my concern is is about um the the labor side of the equation Mm -hmm. the riders and you know when i see um uh vodder's saying you know and other people saying you know what was sky being so dominant and such things like oh there should be salary caps you know and things um to keep costs under control and i get. You know to to help with parody and I, that makes me cringe a little bit so yeah but that said
0: i would say i'd say the summary is that like you know cannondale drapeback's crowdfunding attempt sort of raises all of these questions about how cycling and the world works and sort of what what economies we want to change while we also kind of keep them chugging along and yeah yeah yeah
1: and honestly, like in the grand scheme of things, like I, you know, the reason that uh, for Vauders that this is important is because he owns this team and he cares a lot about his team, and that's good. That's that's you know, you should care about something that you've put that much of your time and energy into. Like yeah. I, I think that's entirely reasonable. But you know, that's necessarily, you know the perspective of someone in that position right and like on a global scale um how concerned do we need to be about kind of the situation in pro cycling in terms of the transience of uh sort of franchises right of of teams i this is a matter of grave concern to team owners uh it is somewhat of a concern when it comes to churn in the kind of rider pool Mm -hmm. um but you know on a global scale it's hard to buy into the idea that this is a grave problem i don't know or even even on the scale of like cycling as we as we said to bring it back around like is this the biggest problem in cycling i'm not really sure so yeah yeah um but that said (laughs) That said, in all good good faith, I do wish them the very best. I would be sad to see them. Go.
0: I would be I would be really sad if they didn't exist next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good, was, luck, good luck, Cannondale Draypack.
1: Good luck, Cannondale Um I hope you land something. Uh, let this be a lesson to people: don't don't try and get Unibet as a sponsor. Everyone's going to be sad. <laughs> it's just.
0: Cycling's got to have a once bitten twice shy thing going on with Unibet oh, now. Oh, yo,
1: know, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Unibet has to have a once bitten once shy <laughs> uh, thing going on because they probably rightly sensed wait a minute. <laughs> what happened the last time we did this? Uh for for people who might not follow uh god, we're old. For people who might not have been following Procyclid forever, um I can't believe it doesn't feel like forever it feels like a year ago and yet it was actually 10 years ago Unibet sponsored a a pro tour as it was then called team uh and then it turned out due to I think European Union rules about what was it gambling
0: advertising I think so. I think or about something advertising, yeah -hmm. Yeah,
1: like they they could not they were not legally allowed to actually display their name on the team kit, and so that led to this completely bizarre sight of riders in these kits that were like green shoulders and and legs with a chest that was lighter colored with a big question mark on it. (laughs) So there were these question mark kits. It was so strange. Uh. Yeah, very, very weird. And then Unibet didn't want to pay out to the team for obvious reasons. (laughs) (laughs) And that spawned problems. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So what's old is new again.
0: Yeah, I'd forgotten about this. i had forgotten about the question mark part. (laughs) That was right about the time that I started actually
1: following pro cycling a little bit. And it was like, what the hell is with these question mark kits? And then you start to dig a little bit and it's like, oh, I don't understand this, but it sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> and it was. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, man. <sighs> uh, how you feeling? <laughs> I'm tired.
0: I'm tired. I think we're at the end of our uh, end of our time to, together. I, tonight. I think so, too. I think it's been a lovely hour, a lovely hour on the horn with you. Likewise, it's been a lovely hour being in the ears of uh, you, our listeners, as you've taken us for a ride with you today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for pulling,
1: listeners, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm bushed. Pull through, it's late. It's late. Alrighty, thanks, Matteo. Thank you to all of you, and uh, we'll catch you next time.
0: Good night from the Honest Bicycle Program. Buenas noches.